listeners, and welcome back to the, the Northwest Young Fabian podcast. Uh, apologies for our sort of hiatus we had, but we are we are back now. So uh, I'm I'm your host uh, Tom Lang, as well as my co-host Owen Farmworth, and Hello. today we're joined by um, Helen, who is from our, our committee, and we're going to be talking about devolution. And so, Helen, o- o- over to you to give us some of your initial thoughts. Thank you. Um, I think the discussion around devolution and its kind of validity has been going on for a while. It was really kind of highlighted pre the second lockdown um, when a lot of the kind of council leaders from across Greater Manchester and a lot of the Greater Manchester MPs came together to try and resolve what tier we were going to be in, um, why we should stay in tier two versus tier three. And obviously we did end up staying in tier two for all of about a week (laughs) before we got kind of pushed into tier three and we're, we're kind of seeing the same thing happen now. Um, obviously before this lockdown, Liverpool and Manchester had kind of similar infection rates, similar structures, um, but different tiers. And we're seeing that again now um, with Merseyside and Greater Manchester being in terms of the virus in a similar place, but in terms of like the tiers and the kind of restrictions uh, being completely different. And I think it does just raise the question again as to, you know, how valid is that? devolution and how valid are the powers that we're supposed to be given to make our own choices in in those areas. So um, with that, how how do you feel uh, the the, the government could improve on on, on devolution? How how could a future government looking back on this say, this is where we need to change, this is, where's devolution not working here in in your view? For me, I think it's it kind of comes down to a micromanagement. So powers that kind of the mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, is supposed to have involve things like health. And it seems like the day-to-day running, say, of social care, which would be one of his powers. Um, sometimes day-to-day is kind of left to it and we can make those decisions, you know, with council leaders that make up the Greater Manchester Authority. But when it came to the pandemic, it just kind of seemed that the view was, this is too big of a responsibility to be made you know, for the residents of Greater Manchester by the leaders of Greater Manchester. Um, A lot of our kind of restrictions and provisions um, are decisions that have been made by central government. And I think either this government or any government going forward, um, basically the solution is to just leave that administration to make those powers. I think it's the same in other nations. I know I hear a lot of talk at the minute around kind of four nation solutions but it seems that a lot of those solutions are just coming from England and I feel the other regions you know Wales and Scotland kind of have to fight to be heard or fight for that voice rather than just being told you have the power you know to make those decisions for your nation and you know we'll leave you to it I don't think that's happening. Uh, Helen you talked about the four nations thing and With that, what did you think of Boris Johnson's comments regarding the Scottish devolution settlement recently? I think any comments that come from Boris Johnson about Scotland are kind of on the fringe of what he feels acceptable. I feel like his defence for everything is, you know, well, you have this devolution, well, it's, it's up to you to make the decisions that you want and the provisions that you want. But it seems those decisions only get taken seriously when there's actually proof that they're working. So, for example, when Scotland had their kind of fire break before we did and um, it was only when we saw that that was actually effective and that that was working that we took a similar approach in England it was the same with the first lockdown initially you know when Scotland did something 
ahead of us. It was only once it was working. I kind of felt like Boris Johnson and the government, potentially in general, thought we'll use you as a bit of a testing pool, and, you know, see what happens with infections, see what happens, you know, with restrictions and then make our decision. So I don't, I don't think he believes um, that those nations should make their own decisions unless it's something that he's kind of a decision he's too afraid to make for England and they get kind of, yeah, like a bit of a, a test in bed for their own, own decisions. One of the things we saw here is um, the, the, the issue over gyms. Liverpool City Region moved into Tier 3. It was gyms had to shut. But then the government put Lancashire into Tier 3 and gyms could remain open before they backpedalled and then said gyms could remain open in, great, uh, uh, in the Liverpool City Region. And I wonder if you had any thoughts on how that sort of... Um, devolution applying in sort of a haphazard manner where, where, where the government does listen to local leaders in Lancashire but doesn't listen to them in Liverpool City region until there's enough public outcry and then it does. <laughs> yeah I think you summed it up brilliantly there to be honest. I think because Liverpool and you know Greater Manchester were kind of sticking together on the tier approach pre the second lockdown um, we were almost punished for sticking together on that I think, yeah, the gyms is a perfect example. There's there's no kind of evidence behind it. There's no science behind it. People joke now, like, gyms are the cleanest place, you know, in the UK at the minute, because I don't know if you've been in a gym since they opened up, but they wipe down every time anyone touches anything, you know, by kind of members and by staff. So in terms of infection rates, there's no, there's no science behind that being a hotbed. So, yeah, why wouldn't you keep them open? And if you have made a unilateral decision to close them in one region... Surely the virus doesn't know whether you're in Liverpool, Greater Manchester or Lancashire. So, yeah, in terms of devolution, it just seems to be decisions being made for us. And I've heard a lot of kind of Labour members, a lot of Fabian members and a lot of people who you know, aren't necessarily political kind of becoming more political as this debate's gone on and realising, actually, I thought we were supposed to have powers. I thought we were supposed to make these decisions. And I feel like it's coming up again and again that, we are essentially being ignored in whatever region you're in if you're not kind of in England and especially possibly in the south or then yeah your leaders don't have the kind of say that they should have for you. One of the questions I want to kind of look at more broadly across across the three of us is how effective has devolution really been during the course of this um, pandemic because the British Constitution is what someone would almost uh, would regard as quasi-federal, i.e. we've been trending towards a federal system, but not in any clear, consistent manner like uh, some, some of our Commonwealth countries. Instead, we sort of haphazardly, the very British approach to the Constitution, which is make make do amend and um so that's how we ended up with scotland has a different set of powers to wales which has a completely separate bit of basket of powers to northern ireland which is just a whole load of affixes and then england is sort of subdivided up into you've got greater london now you've got the experiment with uh, metro mers how effective do you think that's been at the start of the pandemic every every uh, part of the uk seemed to be united clear on where it was going but then since then we saw the welsh government do its own thing the scottish government doing its own thing northern ireland's took itself completely back into another lockdown um how effective do you think it's been or do you think there's an argument that perhaps devolution has failed maybe and that maybe we need to review it as a whole and maybe go back to a more um centralized system it's a really good question i mean i think if you if you talk about the validity of devolution, you do have to take into account how different it is. Like you say yourself, Wales might have their own power, 
But if you think of Wales as a country and England as a country, within England, we have completely different regions that have completely different rules, you know, powers and restrictions, um, especially around the pandemic. So if something's different on kind of one side, you know, of the river in Liverpool than it is in Manchester, surely the assumption would be that across the whole country of Wales, things would need to be different. Um, so I suppose it poses the argument within Wales, within Scotland, should there be further devolution for those areas? You know, I think I think devolution is a positive thing if it's consistent. I think not having it in some regions, having it in other regions, having it in one whole country as one whole approach, and then you know, in, in kind of ten different areas of England, um, is isn't consistent. What do you think? Um, I I'd, I'd agree with you. I mean, I I think that maybe you should. You know, it's, it's got to be consistent, as you say. You've got to have, um, you know, you can't, you've got to, you can't give different powers to maybe different areas. You know, everyone's going to be under a centralized kind of thing where we all, we've, every region has got the same power, um, to do as they want to. Maybe that's quite an interesting point because the even the even the English, um experiment with devolution has sort of been a very retail approach to devolution um so really uh, areas compete with central government to sort of win powers and it's sort of like a deal you yeah. negotiate your own devolution package so it's uh so liverpool uh liverpool city region is a whole separate devolution package to that which um rose manchester's got and to which south yorkshire's gone to which west yorkshire's going to get and it's sort of based on what local council leaders can and can't negotiate for there, which is a, which is kind of a curious way of doing it. Um, you sort of saw that Wales and uh, London had devolution very much imposed upon them, although they were ratified via a referendum. The, the makeup and structure of that was wrote centrally by the Labour government while devolution in Scotland and devolution in Northern Ireland was more wrote within the local area. There was a whole constitutional convention in Scotland on what a Scottish parliament would look like. And part of this goes back to um, the different stages at which people were ready for devolution. So Scotland had sort of narrowly been in favour of devolution back in the 1970s, but it failed due to a reckoning amendment inside the bill that gave the referendum. So Scotland had a consciousness as a nation, so that when the opportunity for devolution came back again in the 90s, Scotland was ready to have a discussion about what it wanted to look like. Wales had none of the framework there. Wales narrowly uh, voted in favour of devolution, very nearly rejected it. There was a question about the legitimacy of that. But now Wales sort of had an awakening and devolutions uh, caused Wales to have a conversation about itself. An example of that would be uh, the, Welsh, the Welsh Assembly, now the Senev or Welsh Parliament, was originally not even given uh, direct legislative powers. It couldn't even legislate. It was really nothing more than a souped-up county council. Um, so that changed. That We started to give Wales the power to make its own primary legislation. And the nature and the changing names of these bodies. So initially, Scotland and Wales had what's called the Scottish and Welsh Executive, not the Scottish and Welsh Government. That was kind of a rebrand that sort of went on. Scotland started it, the SNP wanted to be called the Scottish Government. And then it followed through that Welsh Labour kind of like the idea of leading Welsh, uh, the Welsh Government. While Northern Ireland's always kept this executive name 
but that kind of shows sort of how devolution is sort of evolved inside the park. We've never had a sit down conversation about how it works. And I think this shows where we need to have that conversation. So I'm, I'm really curious as, as to whether you think we need to go back to the drawing board and reassess it all. Um, and then how practical you even think that is. Um, another good question. I mean, I do know the Young Fabian kind of local government devolution network put out, are putting out a pamphlet on a very similar topic. So whether the mayoral powers that were promised kind of a year or two years ago in those regions that should be coming up for re-election this year obviously will be re-election next year um whether those kind of mayors and combined authorities have delivered on those powers so i think that should make a really interesting reading um but i think that's just one part of the equation like you say so if we say andy burnham promised x y and z and he's only delivered x and y that's something you know that's some kind of data we can see the effectiveness in greater manchester but i think we need to look wider and to like you say whether it works generally i think i could never argue that political decisions shouldn't be made locally and i think a, a lot of sensible thinking people would probably agree with that as a basic concept that it makes sense to have local leaders making decisions for local people you know as kind of wide as those powers are um, as wide as possible would be would be positive in my view. I think devolution is the answer. It's just giving us the freedom to have our voice and have our opinion and make our own decisions. I think that needs to be the experiment rather than saying, we'll tell you on paper, you know, you have the freedom and the kind of money, for example, like funding's a big thing, you know, to make these decisions on behalf of your constituents, but still pulling the reins when you think, oh, actually, I don't know if I can give you that bigger responsibility now there's a pandemic i'm just going to take that power off you i think if we actually let devolution do what it was set up to do and give people that freedom um then we'd you know we'd have a better answer to that question whereas things like in greater manchester we have a mayor so residents of greater manchester will tell you until they're blue in the face that we voted not to have a mayor um richard lees the leader of manchester city council told us that i think our first like kind of manchester young fabian event um that he didn't want a mayor and he got told he needed to have a mayor in order to get devolution. So he said, OK, because devolution was more important to him than, you know, whether or not he wanted a mayor. Because Andy Burnham doesn't actually hold much power in terms of the Great Manchester Combined Authority it is the 10 leaders of the local authorities. So as much as Andy Burnham might get a lot of credit for things that he does, you know, kind of do like him. I do think he does a good job in general. Um, it was important for people like Richard Leeds and, you know, Eamon O'Brien and the other kind of leaders across Greater Manchester to give Greater Manchester more power, more funding and more of a voice, even if it does kind of go through that figurehead of Andy Burnham. And, that, and that's a really interesting point. I think it's worth here at this point just to shout out to the local government network uh, of the Young Fabians and say that people can find how to contact them uh, uh, via the Young Fabian website. And I'd really encourage people to do that, to, re to reach out to uh, all, all our different networks and the new advocacy groups that are being set up. But going back into this topic again, yeah, I think you definitely have a point here about um, the, the importance of devolution does work and decisions to be made as close to home as, as, as is possible. But it, but it raises an interesting point about whether Britain is comfortable with um, different decisions being taken differently. So 
so as you said, we saw Wales go into a lockdown at a different point to England. In fact, Wales came out of its lockdown uh, around about the same time England went into its, which is kind of where devolution is working as it should. Decisions are being taken differently that affect different areas. But it's whether Britain was quite ready for the full impacts of devolution. We'd never really experienced that before. Devolution actually means in a policy terms um, and the policies will be different in different parts of our, our country because largely they haven't. They've largely all stayed the same. Governments have largely instituted the, the same policies in the same places. To be honest, some of the biggest variation is largely in Scotland, which has variations regarding, um, well, there were previously laws regarding uh, football chants, where certain football chants were made illegal by the Scottish government. So that was an example of a policy difference there. But very minor. We have now we've sort of seen major policy differences between the different uh, areas of the UK, which then says, okay, is Britain comfortable with that? Whether there needs to be a national conversation about an awareness about what devolution actually means. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if Owen has has any thoughts. Yeah. Um, so, so you made the point about it kind of being a bit of a shock to the UK government when you you know you, you Matt Drake kind of said, well. And Nicola Sturgeon, to a certain extent, kind of said, well, don't, don't come here. You know, we've, ne we've never seen these sort of things happen before. Like you said, there's been no real, real divergence, not major divergence, apart from the uh, the football chant one you mentioned. Um, you know, we've seen this play out for the first time. And I, I don't know, I don't know whether it's made people more keen on devolution or whether it's not. I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not going to start speaking for the people of Wales and Scotland as to whether it has. Um, but it'll, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that plays out and whether people become more fond of devolution because of it or whether, you know, that they, they find themselves maybe questioning it as such. Yeah, I mean, there are there are things like as recent as last week, we saw announcements that Scotland was the first country to make uh, female menstruation products free. Mm. And I think it makes people take a second look and go, oh, yeah, they are different, a different country, you know. And it's one thing to kind of say, oh, we, you know, we're dividing people when we look at, you know, the four nations of, you know, the United Kingdom as four different places. Shouldn't we all be on the same page? But I think it does highlight that when people talk about the UK, a lot of people just think about England, especially if you're English. When you say you have a whole section, you know, of Welsh people doing something different to a whole section of Scottish people. I think maybe maybe people weren't ready to accept that that's what devolution means. But I think it's been positive. And things like that legislation coming out in the last week, I think, really hit home. So if you're an English person, you can look at that and think, actually, that happens in Scotland. Why can't it happen here? You know, you can get free prescriptions in parts in countries in the UK that you can't get in England. How does that work? And people think, well, you couldn't get that. You know, couldn't possibly have adults that work getting free prescriptions. But in Wales, there are adults that work that get free prescriptions. So, yes, you can. And it does work. And it's not you know, in Australia on the other side of the world where everything's completely different, it's it's over there. You know, it's not that far from kind of where I'm sat now in the Northwest. Um, so yeah, I think it has maybe unnerved some people a little bit. So, you know, I've got family in Wales. Lots of people have family in other countries in the UK and they were in completely different circumstances than we were in England, which is strange because normally everything's the same in terms of who can go out and whether we can visit or whether we can't. 
But I think it's a, a kind of respect that should have been earned sooner to say, oh, actually, Wales, you should be making those decisions for your people because you know much better than we do, you know, what's better for them or what those people actually want. So, yeah, I think it has, I think it has woken up a few people to the differences across the countries. But I think it just should have happened sooner. And it's kind of a shame that it took a global pandemic for people to realise, you know, Scotland should have the power to make their own decisions, for example. I actually wonder here whether, in fact, this raises more a deeper question, which is about the acceptance and, in fact, support for devolution in different parts of the UK. So Scotland overwhelmingly uh, voted for uh, the Scottish Parliament uh, back in the 90s and support was, was very great for it. London uh, did really, really uh, voted for um, the idea of um, the London Assembly and the London Mayor to form the Greater London Authority. But that was kind of, London never, it, it kind of disliked when Thatcher removed uh, London-wide governance, um, which kind of raised that question about city-wide governance, which only recently has sort of been returned to. You used to have Greater Manchester County Council, Merseyside County Council, uh, West Yorkshire County Council, but all these things were abolished by Thatcher, uh, which sort of led to individual governance in the boroughs. And in some areas that was cool, um, Great Manchester, you know, had a great love for it and continued to work together. Merseyside, the, the, the councils never particularly worked closely together. And London appeared to have that strong desire for a single London-wide governance um, instead of simply governance by the 32 boroughs. But it's how much that supported, because Wales very narrowly voted for devolution initially. Um, and then I think there's a question about now Wales overwhelmingly supports it. Um, if you were to, tr anyone trying to take away devolution, ser or a serious political mandate would be very small. In, in, in fact, all major political parties in Wales accept and support devolution. Um, the only party that sort of want it is UKIP want to abolish it these days. And I think the Brexit party, and there is a party called Abolish the Welsh Assembly, even though it's no longer called the Welsh Assembly. So technically they have achieved their aims. Um, <laughs> so that's an interesting point. And I think the question about whether England has support for these Metro Mers would be something to look at. So uh, as we said, Greater Manchester, Merseyside never voted for these mayors. We are, these are mayors sort of imposed on, on our regions, never voted for by our regions. So do people support um, Andy Burnham's position as existing? Do people like the Greater Manchester Combined Authority? Do people like the Liverpool City Region Combined Authority? That's, um, um, and I wonder if you had any thoughts on whether people have, have had more support you find because uh, Owen you're you're in the Liverpool City region like me and Helen you're in Greater Manchester do you feel people have had a growing awareness possibly of the fact these mayors exist or whether they have a changed attitude towards them uh, bringing up perhaps Andy Burnham the king of the north memes uh, <laughs> that popped up very recently um, I think in Greater Manchester you can't move too close to any anything related to the public sector without Andy Burnham appearing you know everyone wants him at their events. Like I work for a private company that runs public sector contracts. And anytime anything new happens in Greater Manchester, everyone wants Andy Burnham there because he's the figurehead, you know, everyone follows him on Twitter. Whether you love him, whether you hate him, whether you're indifferent, you know who he is. What I think this kind of pandemic has brought to people's, brought to the forefront of people's minds, should I say, um, is the combined authority. So 
you know, if Addie Burnham decided I'm resigning tomorrow, or the central government said we're not having a mayor, largely everything would continue. Like a lot of the stuff that comes out from Andy Burnham's office is either from the combined authority or it's largely PR based, you know, around getting him kind of re-elected um, next year, the year after, the year after. But without a mayor in Greater Manchester, we'd still have the combined authority, which is where the actual powers held, you know, 10 leaders for each local authority in Manchester, Greater Manchester sit round and make decisions for those regions, whether or not Andy Burnham's at the table. I know there was some feeling amongst people that I know, you know, political people and non-political people during the conversation around tears was why does Andy Burnham know things before local council leaders, for example, um, you know, across the local authorities in Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham would be on calls or on meetings or tweeting information before leaders of councils would know, um, which I think was a bit unnerving for them and definitely for residents because it would be nice to think <laughs> that you, the leader of your council uh, would be the first point of contact for you know that kind of information wasn't necessarily the case so yeah I know people who love Andy Burnham and I know people that can't stand him but I think largely everyone agrees that the combined authority is a good idea um, and having their council leaders represent them is a great idea. In, in Liverpool City region I'm, I'm not sure many people are maybe as tuned into devolution as maybe in Greater Manchester I mean when the the restrictions that we were going into tier three first time round were confirmed, there was there was very there was a bit of you know confusion about what constituted the Liverpool City region and where was you know what 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 towns were in it and what weren't and you know that sort of thing. Um, I I don't I'm not quite knowledgeable on what the Liverpool City region can and can't do, whether the, the council leaders sit around the table or what, but I, I don't feel like. As many people are familiar with Steve Rotherham, at least, and what he can and can't do, and maybe you know, I, I'm not sure many people in St Helens anyway. Um, it might it might just be a St Helens thing would would say, oh yeah, would know much about whether oh yes, he's the mayor of the Liverpool City region, which we're part of, sort of thing. No, that that's a really interesting question. Um, yeah, so you had you it's 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 largely the same structure. The the mayors are themselves basically chairs of the combined authority um but but we couldn't call them chairs because obviously we wanted the name that was going to inspire the british public to participate in the election process largely the british public <laughs> haven't but we, we've got elections in uh, in may for uh, both for both andy burnham and steve rotherham so let's see to what extent uh the british public engage with that with with, with these mayors and participate in the election of them alongside the election of their uh, their councillors um, but the final point I really, I really want to look up uh, then before I hand over to you, uh, you guys for any final thoughts is regarding the media inside um, the, the UK, because the media is still very centralised, even where we have very regionalised powers. So there's a question about how well do you feel the media cover the decisions made at a local level? Uh, how well does the media cover what Andy Burnham or the combined authorities as a whole is doing? Or whether, because you mentioned that point about Andy Burnham sort of being the figurehead that everyone goes to, which is kind of his function. But whether that means, does the media miss it? Is the media too simple, simplistic? And do we need to look at regionalised media more in order to explore a better coverage of devolution? Another big question. Um, 
I think possibly decisions that are made on a local level aren't, don't get the kind of coverage that they should do. I think it's very easy for, say, a MP who's just been elected, you know, three weeks ago to put out a tweet about saving a bus route um, and claiming that it was his hard work in the past three weeks when actually it's been two years in the making by the previous party's previous MPs. Um, I'll let our listeners figure out what region I could be talking about there. But I think that's so easy to do. You know, that tweet goes out, people see it. You know, the local newspaper might pick it up. If you're lucky, the Manchester Evening News might pick it up. Um, and then that's fact. And then it's spread on social media and then that's just fact. So whereas people who actually know the detail of what's happened, you know, can comment on posts, like you, it's, it's snowballed by that point. You can't get that back, that kind of misinformation back. Um, and I think that's kind of the gift and the curse, you know, of social media um, and of news outlets that, you know, not every piece of news is kind of fact checked and is vetted um, largely, you know, whilst it, when it goes out, it's just assumed that it's fact. And while you can fact check it later, most people don't do that with the news. You know, most people read it, absorb the information and then get on with the day. They don't have time to fact check everything they've ever read or every tweet they've ever seen. So yeah, I think a lot of local decisions that are made, you know, by by councillors especially, I think it's a, an excellent point. People turn out for general elections and not as many people turn out for council elections. And I think a lot of people don't understand the role of a councillor. Um, you know, whereas a lot of the time the, pe the people that have, you know, kind of worked the longest hours and make most of the decisions and do a lot of the hardest work and deal directly with residents, you know, and do casework, you know, at nine o'clock at night and at the weekends, week in, week out, outside of their average day job. And, you know, they get a third of your average salary for doing so. Are you councillors? And then, you know, those kind of people don't get the praise that they should. Whereas I'm sure if something major happened that came from a councillor in a greater Manchester region, um, it would be, you know, Andy Burnham and, and the mayor that might get that coverage if they're lucky or there would be no coverage at all. You know, it might be in a small local newspaper, but it's it's unlikely. And if it was, that's that's probably the only place it would feature. And that, that's a really good point. I think that kind of strays into existential questions about um, the future of the media as as it continues to decline, um, particularly print media, which therefore leads to a decline in the quality of journalism and a drive towards clickbait. Um, and then the, the impact is even worse than perhaps upon, upon your local um, news outlets, which some ways aren't very local because they're largely owned by the same people who own the bigger news outlet, outlets and not everyone has them. So luckily Manchester does have the Manchester Evening News and the Liverpool City region has the Liverpool Echo, which has sort of taken on a role to be the paper for the whole of the the greater Liverpool area in inverted commas. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that raises existential questions, which I don't want to get into now because that is a podcast in and of itself. So I kind of want to wrap up and invite any last thoughts. So I'll go to our own first and then back to you, uh, Helen, for any last thoughts you have. Um, the Echo certainly does right for the whole region, I'd say. Um, you know, people, people you've got to, you've got to personally, we're going to get this good local coverage, as you say, which is very important um, for local democracy. Um, you've got to try and get people to read them, first of all. Um, and that, that's, there's very few people who certainly read the same Tally Star around here. Um, and, you know, that, that has... That does focus on local democracy, whereas you wouldn't obviously get that at different levels of media. So people have got to read them and watch them first. 
um, and then you you might find more more people participate in the process. I don't know that that could be a possibility. Coming back to what we said at the start, it needs to be it needs to be fair and it needs to be spread across regions. It needs to be consistent, and we need to have the freedom to make those decisions. And I think the decisions that we do make, the powers we do have, so you know, health, social care, transport, waste, the powers that the combined authority having Greater Manchester should be getting more coverage, more people should be aware. Um, you know, in, in both kind of ways, there's a lot of decisions that are made centrally by the government that people blame, you know, kind of local councils for. And equally, a lot of great stuff that local councils do that central government gets praised for. And I think till we fix that, that's half the battle, especially when it comes to kind of election time and people, you know, voting for councillors and voting for MPs. If they don't have that accurate information as to who made what decision, it's it's very hard to to make a kind of valid vote, I suppose, with that lack of information. Brilliant. Thank you both so much for joining me and thank you, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm.